Lord, thank you for your grace and love and your goodness. Lord, we pray you give us wisdom. Lord, we thank you for just the opportunity to minister your word. And, Father, we pray for anyone who's here who doesn't know you. That, Father, as um, uh, your word has been shared and just um, your music and what you've done in the lives of Van. And, that, Lord, you would use this time to just uh, minister to those that are um, not only lost like we were, Lord, but that um, are in danger of perishing. And so, Lord, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 will be our text. The title of the message is that Jesus wants to make you alive. Paul has um, declared the power of the resurrection in chapter 1 about Christ. He's been set at the right hand of the Father. He's in the position of authority and exaltation. And yet... He makes the connection between the efficiency of that exaltation and now the efficiency to save mankind even though he is spiritually dead. So that we're not looking to our own abilities or our own worthiness to be saved. If Jesus would have um, said only those who haven't committed certain sins can be saved, the majority of us wouldn't be saved. If uh, Jesus said, well, you have to meet certain requirements, then, you know, the majority of us would not be saved. But as we're going to see, Jesus made it in such a way that everybody can come and yet nobody can boast. And that's the beauty about salvation. And so here in verse 1 down through 10, Paul describes the process of salvation through a threefold lens. Let me read the scriptures and then we'll break it down and we'll go through it. He says, And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children rather just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his glory or his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're saying, what the heck did you just say? Okay, let me break it down for you. First of all, we have the past state of spiritual death, which he gives in verse 1 through 3. He's talking about those who don't know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you fall into this category. It's very simple. He tells us there that you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The made alive is in italics. That means it's not the original Greek. It doesn't, it doesn't come until verse 5, but it's put in there so that we can understand the English a little better. But the key is there that you were dead in trespasses and sins. So every person who's born into this world is born spiritually dead. Now, when you came out of your mom's womb, the doctor cut the cord, smacked you, you cried. You breathed. You're alive. How do you know you're alive? He cried. Physically. But spiritually, you're dead. The evidence of that is your mom and dad are sinners. And when they came together, they made another little rotten little sinner. (laughs) You. And it didn't take long to find out how rebellious and sinful you were. And your parents really should thank God that you didn't come with teeth and muscles that able to walk. 
because you would have driven havoc on your mom at 2 in the morning. Baby's the most selfish individual. He don't care if mom hasn't had any sleep. He doesn't care if mom's been going for four days. At 2 in the morning, he wants his diapers changed and he wants his milk. And he doesn't care who he puts out. Right? Our nature is sinful. You go somewhere, there's some rules. I just saw... Uh, Tonight I went home, there was some, uh, uh, maybe you've seen some of those uh, caught on camera things. And this young trapeze, she's probably mid-twenties, and she's been aerial dancing for about seven years, and she does beautiful stuff on all that. Maybe you've seen some of with the cords and all that. They do all kinds of stuff. But she gets up on the, on the New York Bridge in the middle of traffic, and she does that, which is against the law. And she's saying, what's the big deal? I'm, I, I didn't break any laws. I just broke tradition. Everybody qualifies their own stupidity today. You didn't break tradition. You broke the law. It's dangerous for the people driving. They're looking at you. They get in a wreck. You fall. You splatter on somebody's car. It's the law. Everybody's a law to themselves today. Everybody's a liar to themselves. You on Facebook? Everybody's living the dream. But they're liars. You've got your own audience. You present yourself as the best. Who's the fool? The one reading it or the one sending it? That's our nature, ladies and gentlemen. Sinful by nature. Dead in trespasses and sins. Sins is missing the mark. From an old English game, you shoot arrows and you miss it, they call you a sinner. Trespasses is a little more rebellious. I mean, say, there's a line there. There's a sign there. There's, there's a, a, a warning. Do not cross this line. And you say, I'm going to cross it. What of it? It's a trespass. You go by a fence. It says private property. No trespass. And you climb the fence. It's a little different than going across property line that has no signs. And they catch you. Hey, I didn't know there was a line. So we sin by nature because we're sinners. Whether in private or in public, you're going to sin. But there's also that rebelliousness of attitude that I'm going to do what I'm going to do and what are you going to do about it? Now, there used to be laws that brought consequences and they kept us in line. Now, laws are being obliterated. Crime is being decriminalized. Offenses are being just ignored. And so, authority is being destroyed. And all you young people are the greatest victims. Because you call that liberty. It's not liberty. It's the road to destruction. Worst thing you can ever do is get your way and do your will. Because our sin nature drives us to what is, I think is good for me, what I want. If you keep going down that road, it only gets progressively worse. Because the more things you're involved, the less you're able to discern the evil or the good of it. You become callous, your conscience, inability to make judgments. The education doesn't help. You're taught relativity. No objective truth, it's all subjective. You fill in the blank. Situational ethics. Well, Isaiah, we think we're so chic today. Isaiah said they're going to call good evil and evil good. You can go down here in one of the um, clinics, and if you're pregnant, young, young lady, you can go down there and kill your baby in abortion. They will applaud you. They'll say you did the right thing. 
God calls it murder. If you try to stop that woman by telling her that Jesus loves her and that human being is a human being, not just a little tissue, there'll be people that call you evil. How dare you? So we're living in a day when evil's good and good's evil. You punish the good and you give license to the evil. So nothing new under the sun. History just revolves. And we're not good students of history. We repeat that history. And we end up doing worse things. Because we think that we are the generation we've been waiting for. (laughs) How narcissistic is that? A generation that destroys everything? So if that's our state and and all the evidence around us points us to that, how is it that we come with the conclusion that man is good? Where do we get the evidence? You want to go on the internet? Where do you get good men, good women? You want to look at the history? How many years of war to years of peace in the history of man? Oh, but there's a lot of people that do a lot of good, you know. They give money here, they give there, and everything else. And you know, I'm not saying that man doesn't have potential for good. He's creating the image and likeness of God. You have a potential to do good. But you're bending towards evil. You walk down the street. The sign says there, as I told you often, wet paint. What do you do? It says, don't touch. You touch it. It provokes you. You drive down the freeway, it says 65. You go 67, 70. We're lawbreakers. And you ever have a policeman pull you over and give you a citation for good driving? Dead of trespasses and sins. Notice that. According to the prince of the power of the air, that works now in the children of disobedience. So now he calls them dis- children of disobedience. That's the dark state of man. Verse 1, 2, and 3. Every man, every woman. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you may be religious. You may, good, you may be even be good and moral. But if you're not born again, you're, you're dead in trespasses and sins. That means that, that you have to give an account for what you've done in your life. Just like any criminal has to face a judge once he's caught. The only thing is God doesn't look. I have to look for you. He knows where you're at. He knows there's a judgment day ahead. Now I was born again when I was 23 years old. I'm 65 now. I would not want to give an account to God for all that I did. It would destroy me. I couldn't justify what I did. I couldn't excuse it. I couldn't blame people. So my only option was, when I heard the gospel, is I either stand on my own and try to justify myself before God, who's holy, or I allow Jesus to be the one who died in my place, as he says. And did he pay the price for my sin? My sins and my trespasses. The Holy Spirit is here to make that real to you. I can't persuade you, but the Holy Spirit is here to convict you of your sin. And your lostness and your need of God. And before I finish, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Christ to come into your heart to forgive you and to save you. That's going to be your choice, not mine. Not the person next to you. 
If you die without accepting Christ, you will go to hell. You will be eternally lost. And if this is the only time you've heard the gospel and you reject it, God will judge you based on the one and only time you had that opportunity. Like the two thieves on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The other one perished. Nobody will be born into this world without at least one chance. Maybe this is your only chance. Maybe this is your last chance. I don't know. But again, the choice is yours. In verse 3, he says, Among whom also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So here we are. Paul includes himself now. The we is also the Jews. Paul himself. Gentile and Jew. Both the same. Because Ephesians is saying Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. See, our whole world is divided. Our leaders in Washington are dividing our nation. Black against white, rich against poor, employee against employer. Masters at dividing, divide and conquer. Jesus unites. When you're born again, you're in the family of God. Your color doesn't make any difference. Your race doesn't make any difference. Your family doesn't make any difference. Nothing makes a difference. What makes a difference is that you repent and you are born again. And God gives you a new nature, a new mind, and a new life. And everything else is buried. Common ground and common denominator is Jesus Christ. We can differ on everything else, but we run everything according to the word of God. So we all submit ourselves to God's word, not our opinions. Not our subjective reasoning. Not our excuses. Not blaming others. I get so tired of hearing people, well, you know, I didn't have a dad. Really? Neither did Adam. Or that, well, you know, my dad was so bad, and that's why, you know, I carried over to God, and, you know, he's my father, so he must be. Who, what, what fool, what fool on this earth who has an evil dad thinks that God is like their dad? You have to be taught that. If you believe in a God who is supernatural, you know that he's greater than your dad and he's not as evil as your dad. You have to be taught that lie. And you have a choice whether it be like your dad or like your heavenly father. But you can't use your dad as an excuse for not turning to your heavenly father. That's human psychology, sociology, and philosophy. And all it does is excuse the way you live. Here he says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, the mind, children of wrath by nature. We did what we want. We get loaded. We get drunk. We lay around fornicate. We do whatever we want. Hey, what's the problem, man? And we don't realize that every time we're doing something like that, we're putting a mark on our life, a mark, a scar, everything else. Everything is here. Never goes away. All you need is just the right song. Boom, there you are. The right thing. You think you get impressed with computers? Man, your mind is an incredible thing God gave you. And people do so much stuff later on, they can't live peaceably, see? It destroys their life. This is the condition of man, bleak, dark. But here's the miracle. Verse 4, he says, here we see man's present state of spiritual life. But God, 
who is rich in mercy because of the great love which he had, which, in which he loved us. But God, that's the only way there's hope for man. Apart from God, you, you can't get rid of your sin. Apart from God, you can't live above sin. Apart from God, you can't run from your sin. Because you will die in your sin. And then you must stand before God to be judged for your sin. Now, who in the world would think that they are sufficient to stand before a holy God that is perfect and believe that you can weigh your goods with your baths and come out best? Are you kidding me? But God, what an incredible power. The very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, here's at work. But God, rich in mercy, mercy is less than you deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve judgment. We're going to see we're saved by grace, unmerited favor. But mercy is less than I deserve. God is kind. God is good. Because of his great love with which he loved us. You want to know how much Jesus loves you if you're not a Christian? He took his arms out of the cross and he died for you. That's how much he loved you. When? When you were a sinner. He died for the ungodly. I presume you qualify. That's how much he loved you. He didn't have to die for you. He chose to die for you. You are born into this world and you will die physically if the Lord tarries in his coming. He came into the world to die for our sins. Being the epitome of holiness. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the most unjust act that ever happened in human history. He had no sin in himself. But he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 But God, his mercy, his grace, as we'll see. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in trespasses, he reminds them again. He made us, here's now the word, made us alive together with Christ. So he forgives me. I call upon him. He regenerates my heart. He allows me to understand my loss and he allows me to understand that he died for my sins. He allows me to understand that he loves me and that was the motive of dying for me and that it's all by grace through faith as we're going to see. Unmerited favor, undeserved. No one can say I deserve salvation more than the other. No one can say I deserve salvation at all. Everybody in heaven will say, Lord, you are great because your mercy and your grace allow me to be here. If it wasn't for that, I would be eternally lost. Nothing else can get us to heaven. Notice that he raised us together in verse 6 and made us to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So, as believers, now if you're born again or if you open your heart to the Lord, then God exalts you to sit with Christ in the heavenlies as a son and daughter of God. Just as you're a son and daughter of your parents by nature, and they produce a sinner, Jesus Christ produces saints. So tonight, you're either a saint or an ain't. One of the two. You're headed for heaven or you're headed for hell. By choice. Not by accident, but by choice. And notice in, in 7... He says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his, light and his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. So, 
As you are born again, those of you who have accepted Christ, you have been used by God during this period of time, this age, the church age, to show other people the power of God, what He can do in your life. They knew you, your friends, your loved ones, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever it is. They were the first to see the radical change in your life. And they scratched their head, and I don't know what happened, man. It used to be fun. Now he's a Jesus freak or something, you know? Now, they may not like what's happened, but they can't deny what's happened. You've been turned around, man. And he uses that for his glory. He uses that to demonstrate the power of the resurrection and the love of God. And he will do that in the coming millennial kingdom as we, the church, are his bride. And he'll do that for all eternity. And to who is he going to display us? To the angels in heaven. Not E.T. There are no other people on any other planet. God chose this planet. They keep searching for E.T. There's got to be life somewhere else. And they keep making a lie after lie. We know more about the moon than we do about the critters that are in the sea. We can't even search our own backyard and we're going way out there. Because we deny God so much. And the more they try to disprove God, the more God shows them who he is. You have to really close your eyes to deny that. Now notice in verse 8 down to 10, man's eternal state of spiritual gratitude then. So the bleakness of the blackness of man, the light of hope, Jesus Christ, but God, you open your heart to him, he regenerates you, he forgives you of your sins, he bears in the deepest ocean, he makes you whiter than snow, and he gives you eternal life, and he gives you new nature so you can live Above sin, never perfect, but you don't live in a life of sin like you used to. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. As you walk with Him, as you study, as you pray, as you go to church, and you are the church. The church is not the building. You're the church. Ek, out, kaleo, call, ecclesia. Those call out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ by His grace. Abiding in Him, growing in Him. And so here the eternal state of the spiritual gratitude. Notice in verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Now God allows the illumination to your heart that you're a sinner. That you understand that the wrath of God's upon you. That you are an enemy of God. And that he loved you so much he died for you. And if you believe and trust him for what Jesus did for you. That you can call upon him he'll forgive you. Give you a new heart. Give you new nature. Make you a son and a daughter of God. By grace. Unmerited favor. Nobody's going to be in heaven going like this. Nobody. Read chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. Everybody's on their face to the ground. Right on the throne of grace. The Lamb of God who was slain. That's why we'll be there. It's a gift of God. When somebody gives you a gift, you don't say, oh, thanks, man, I deserve that. People give you a gift because they love you. You can be a creep, but they might love you and they give you a gift. Now, you may think highly of yourself, but they don't think very highly of you, but they love you. You can love someone not think highly of them. (laughs) God loves us with perfect love. He knows he's the best thing for us. He wants you all to himself so he can direct and guide your life. Show you how to live. 
Open your eyes. And nine, he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there's nothing we can present before God that I deserve salvation. Nothing I've done to earn salvation, but it's all a gift. He's done it if I totally trust the atoning work of Jesus Christ, that he became sin, that he died in my place. The wrath of God fell upon him. There was a real death, a real payment, a real separation, a real death, a real resurrection, a real exaltation. And he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I as Christians. And he's knocking on the door of sinners' heart that they might accept him. By grace through faith. No one can boast. And what's the purpose of all this? What for? He gives it us in verse 10. Here it is. If you open your heart to the Lord tonight. Here it is in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. You get the word poem from it. We're his poem. A poem has a message. To communicate. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And once you're born again, God has many things for you to do. Before you're born again, there's nothing you can do in work. Once you're born again, then He enables you. He gives you the Spirit of God. He gives you the mind of Christ. He gives you the Word of God. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And He says, now I'm going to direct and guide you. I'm going to use you as my instrument and my vessel. Many good works to walk in them. But He won't force you that you might walk in them. As Christians, sometimes God has some works and we don't walk in them because we're carnal. We don't obey. So it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but God has a great work for you and a great life for you as His instrument, first of all, to benefit your life, to know how to live. Second of all, to show others the life that God has given you that they might come to Jesus Christ. And so the question tonight is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is telling the truth when he says that you're a sinner headed for hell? That you are dead in trespasses and sins. There's nothing you can do. And if you continue in this road, you will perish eternally. But if you will open your heart to God and ask him to forgive you because you believe that he is God who became man and took your place on the cross and rose from the dead and that he made that payment, then you can call upon him. You believe with your heart. You make confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And he says he will save you. It has nothing to do with your emotions, nothing with your feeling. It has to do with what you believe God has revealed. That's biblical faith. You're acting on what God said that he honors to accept your sin as paid in full. If you believe Jesus became the sin payment for you. It's real personal. And only you can make that decision. Satan doesn't want you to be born again. Satan wants you to continue thinking that you're cool and you're all set and it doesn't really matter. But you know, if you were to talk to every person in hell tonight, every one of them would give anything they could to hear the gospel one more time. But there's no second chance. Every person in hell tonight would tell you, I chose to go to hell. By rejecting Jesus Christ. I wish I had another opportunity. If you get to heaven. You will hear everybody say. I got here by the grace of God. But I had to make a decision. Whether that was true or not. There's a decision to be made in your life. You're making a decision based on eternity. Not 10 years, not 100 years. 
not going to the principal's office, but facing God Almighty, the creator and the savior of this world, who's the epitome of holiness, who will judge you for everything you have ever done. And you will be sentenced to eternity and separation for the things you've done. And you will know when you stand before him that you had at least one chance to repent. Probably more. But you'll have at least this chance tonight. Two thieves on the cross, real simple. One accepts, the other one rejects. It made all the difference for them in eternity. It's your chance tonight, Jesus says. Do you believe I'm Messiah who died for you? If you do, you will be in paradise with me in heaven. By grace through faith. Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness. We pray even now for your grace upon those who do not know you, Lord. We pray for them. We thank you for bringing them. And we pray that you would just do a work in their hearts. And Father, as they open their hearts to you, that they would call on your name. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has certainly brought you here, not by accident. You might have said, well, you know, they've been bugging me and I just get it over with and it's done. You had a choice. But God is working. Now he allows you to make a decision. He doesn't force you. You reject him. It'll break his heart. But he won't force you. If you believe what I've said about Jesus Christ, as the Spirit of God deals with your heart, you know who you are. You know what your life's about. And you know that if you continue down this life the way you're living, you're not only going to destroy yourself and many people with you. That's our nature. If you see your need of forgiveness, it's by God's grace. Right now where you sit, if you want to repent of your sins, just slip your hand up, slip it down. Then I'm going to say a prayer. You can repeat it. I'm not going to ask you to get up right where you sit. doesn't matter. Coming up front doesn't mean you're saved. You can walk out of here as dead as you came in. God looks at your heart, not that you walk up front. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you want to be born again and forgiven. Right now, Jesus wants to save you and forgive you of your sins. So this is your desire. Just slip it up, slip it down. God knows who you are. We'll say a prayer. And then we want to give you a Bible absolutely free. Share some important things for your growth and you're free to leave. But don't leave here tonight believing the lies of Satan, that you're all right, that you're good enough. No one's good enough. That's why Jesus died. To say that we're good enough means that Jesus died in vain. And that God crucified his son. Not knowing there was a way for us to be saved alone. That's a total contradiction. This is your prayer. That you want to accept the Lord. Right where you sit. If you mean it. He's going to transform you right now and give you eternal life, a new heart. 
and forgive you of all your sins by grace through faith. You can repeat after me. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.